This morning, uh, to open your Bibles with me uh, to Colossians chapter 4, where we will enter into what will be the, the home stretch in our study of Paul's letter to the church at Colossae. Now, I, I say home stretch, recognizing fully that it just took us six weeks to get through Colossians chapter 3, and so I'm sure you may be bracing yourself for a long stretch run here, but let me try to encourage you uh, with the knowledge that my plan, Lord willing, uh, is to cover these final three chapters, final three chapters, this final chapter in three weeks. Now, as always, I qualify that statement by saying don't hold me too tightly to that because you never know what may happen, but uh, that is the plan. And so this morning we will begin in Colossians chapter 4, beginning in verse 2, and we will read through verse 6. This is God's Word. It says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, it stands forever. Let's pray together. Father, this is your word, a word which is all sufficient to make us wise to salvation and to instruct us on how to live as your redeemed people. And Father, it does that because it is the word that reveals to us the way and the truth and the life. Jesus Christ, whose name is the only name under heaven, given among men by which we might be saved. And so our desire and our prayer in this time is that through the work of your Holy Spirit, you might open our hearts and our minds so that we would encounter our Savior, so that we would learn to fall in faith before him, and so that we might worship our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Evangelism 101. Well, if you have been Presbyterian or Reformed in your theological leanings for very long, uh, then you'll know that, that one of the criticisms often leveled against us, uh, particularly by those outside of our circles, is that we are not very good at, and that maybe we are even neglectful in our duties in regards to evangelism. Now look, that is a, a very generalized blanket statement that certainly does not apply in every area or in every place. But as a generality, uh, there is a lot of truth to that statement. Um, there are times that we are not very good at evangelism. You know, they, they call us the frozen chosen and they call us that not simply because we have a traditional style of worship, and not simply because we don't or, or can't clap in church, uh, but they call us that because rarely, it seems, do we thaw out enough to get up and to take the gospel outside of our walls, outside to our immediate communities. Too often, as Presbyterian churches, and friends, this may be particularly true for ARP churches, we are almost completely insular. And what I mean by that is if God brings someone into our midst, we will accept them and we will love them well. And praise be to God, 
we, are, we do that. We, we love people well. We will accept them. We will happily bring them in. But rarely do we go out and seek to, to bring people in the way that, that God has called us to do, okay? Now, lots of times when people level this criticism against us, they say it's because of our theology. Uh, that, that theologically, because we, we believe in the absolute sovereignty of God, that, that makes us neglectful. Now, friends, hear me when I say this. If you hadn't heard a lot up until now, hear me when I say this. That is not the reason why we are bad at evangelism. No, if anything, our theology and the understanding that God is sovereign, the understanding that our God is a God of means, meaning he often uses his creatures, his people, to accomplish his ordained will, men and women, to share the gospel. Knowing that, it should make us all the more motivated to go out and to take the gospel, to, to go and to declare it to people who need to hear it. So that's not the reason. It's not theological. No, the, the reason is actually far more humbling. We are bad at evangelism because of our own sinful hearts. Let's face it. We act like and maybe we think it is either unnecessary, we think it's somebody else's job, we just hear Minute for Missions week after week and we think, man, those folks over there are doing a great job and that's good. But that's not for us. We think we're not equipped to do that work or maybe worst of all, we just really don't care about those people out there. Now, we certainly wouldn't express it that way, but friends, our actions seem to tell the tale. It seems that, that we are not all that concerned. We are content to watch a lost and dying world go straight to hell. And friends, that's a problem. And it's a problem on at least three fronts. If that's the attitude that we're going to take to the world, it shows first that we have very little self-awareness about who we are. Now, the mentality is not us in the church and them out there. The mentality ought to be us, a fallen humanity, and a holy and righteous triune God. Reality is, is apart from his work, all of us are children of wrath. All of us have no hope save in what Christ has done. Now, praise be to him. Those of us here who are resting by faith in Christ, we have experienced that work. We have experienced that graciousness. But it's still not us and them. It is God who is gracious and kind, and we are now one sinner going to other sinners, sinners who desperately need a Savior, going out into the world, taking the gospel with us. Secondly, uh, that, that mentality of we don't really care about what's going on out there, it's a problem because it shows that we don't really care about the welfare of other people. God says the first commandment is love the Lord your God and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself, right? Here's the simple truth. If someone unknowingly was about to step in front of a moving car, even if it was a person that we did not know, I suspect, I feel confident that most every single one of us would either pull them back 
Or we would shout out, we would yell, we would try to let them know what was coming. Simply out of a respect for human life. Friends, the Bible's clear. Something far worse than a moving car is coming for all those who enter into eternity apart from Christ. And so the question is, is why do we not tell them? Why would we not do our best to pull them back? Do we care enough? Our actions suggest that we don't. Then thirdly, this, this mentality is a problem because it seems to suggest that we don't take seriously God's command or his promises to us. Look there at your bulletin on the top. That, those, that passage that is you know, so familiar to us, the Great Commission in Matthew 28. But listen to it. Listen to what Jesus says to us. He says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now look, I recognize that that is a command given to Jesus' disciples in a very specific place of redemptive history. And it's a, it's a command that goes from the disciples to churches, right? But what are churches made up of? Made up of individuals, made up of you and I, who have been called in 1 Peter 3.15 to be ready to give an account of the hope that is in us, always ready to tell people about Jesus, no matter our role in the body of Christ, no matter how equipped we may feel, we are called to share the gospel, to share the love of Christ. Now, friends, that may intimidate you, but notice and don't miss the promises that are in Matthew 28. Don't miss the authority that is in Matthew 28. When Jesus sends us out, he doesn't say, go in your own authority, go in your own power and do this. He says, no, all authority has been given to me. Now, go. We're going with Christ's authority with us. What an assurance. What a hope as we go out in evangelism, as we take the gospel out into the world. Not only that, but notice whose name is it? that we are baptizing in, that we are working in. It is the name of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now look, I recognize that we don't take names very seriously anymore, but God takes his name very seriously. There's power in God's name. That's the name that we go out in. And then lastly, don't miss that, that last little part. What's the promise that Jesus gives us? Oh, I will be with you. I will be with you to give you the words to say, he says in other places. I will be with you to encourage you. I will be with you, and this is the most important thing, to make your efforts successful, to make them effective. Without him, friends, like Moses and like the children of Israel in the wilderness, we might as well not go. But when he is with us, then it all is effective. And he says... I will be with you, not just for a little while, but I'll be with you to the end of the age. Do we understand the command that God has given us? Do we take it seriously? And do we rest in the promises that Jesus has given us? 
Well, friends, I say all that to say, as Reformed believers, we as Presbyterians, maybe as ARPs, we at New Albany Presbyterian Church, I'm talking to us today, I'm talking to myself, we need to take a long look at what we're doing here, and we need to ask some hard questions. And then we need to repent. And then we need to refocus our efforts, knowing that, that it's God who has commanded us, knowing that it's his mercy and grace, knowing that it's his promises to us that we go out with. Commit ourselves to taking the gospel. I say this all the time, and I know y'all are tired of hearing me say this, but I'm going to say it until it's no longer true. I literally talked to someone this week in this church who said to me, I've lived in New Albany all of my life. This is the first time I've been in this parking lot. This is the first time I've been in this church. And that says to me one of two things. One, we are either not doing a very good job of advertising ourselves, but more importantly, we're not doing a very good job of declaring the truth of our Savior. The first one I can deal with, right? Because it's not really about us. It's not really about our church. The second one, however, it can't fly. We can't be God's people. We cannot be his church without declaring the greatness and the glory of who Christ is everywhere we go. All the time. Not just right now. Everywhere. So, now that I have spent a good uh, half of our time on my soapbox, um, how and where do we begin to be faithful to this call to evangelism? Um, you know, we, we need some, some basics, maybe. We, we need, once again, to have these foundational truths about evangelism declared to us. We need Evangelism 101. Well, thankfully, the passage before us today, uh, it gives us some of that. Paul begins to direct our steps. And look, I, I recognize that we're not going to say anything here today that is particularly profound. Sometimes the, the most important stuff is the most obvious stuff. It's the stuff that is easiest to, to at least on the surface to digest and to understand and to take in. What Paul commands us to here is not really hard. But it's hard to put into practice. And what he tells us is that good evangelism begins not with new cool strategies. It begins not really with our effort whatsoever. But it begins on our knees before the one who has given us this great task. And so as we consider this, I want us to think about how can we better do evangelism here at New Albany Presbyterian Church. So let's look at it together. The first thing that I want you to notice in this passage as we consider our evangelism 101 is a call to evangelistic prayer. And you see it there in verse 2. He says, continue steadfastly in prayer. Easy enough, right? Because evangelism is God's command, because it's rooted in his promises, and most importantly, because he is the one who can make it effective and who does make it effective, any evangelistic effort must begin and must be sustained and must be completed in his presence through prayer. Again, that, that's, that's not a profound statement. That's, that's an obvious thing, right? 
But friends, I am convinced, I am convinced that the majority of our efforts in evangelism here and everywhere, really the majority of our efforts in all of our lives fail or they go wrong, not because we don't have good ideas and not because we don't have good intentions, but it's because we try to do it all in our own strength. We try to do it all in our own wisdom. We try to do it without seeking the face of God. Well, friends, that's ridiculous. You know, it'd be like trying to run the, the air conditioner, which I know y'all notice is, is trying to catch up right now. It'd be like trying to run the air conditioner without a power source, which was happening earlier today. It's not going to work, right? Things are going to get... Well, it's the same way. If we try to do these things in our own power, we're going to fail. He's given us... Prayer And notice Paul gives us three specific sort of nuances as we think about prayer. First, he says that we are to be steadfast in it, to pray continually, to, fa- to pray without ceasing, as he puts it in other places. Now look, to be sure, that, that certainly means that all of us should be spending more time in our closets praying or, or physically on our knees before God. But, but I, I like what one author Uh, says about this particular passage. He says, there's a way of ordering our mental life on more than one level at once. On one level, we can be thinking, discussing, seeing, calculating, meeting all the demands of external affairs, but deep within, behind the scenes, at, at a profounder level, we may also be in prayer and adoration, song and worship, and a gentle receptiveness to divine breathing. In other words, prayer is to be not just something that we do in the mornings, not just something at night, but it is to be the constant disposition, the constant posture of our hearts and of our lives. It is a position of complete dependence, of complete faith on the one who has made us and who has saved us. It's the recognition that apart from him, We can do nothing. And so like the persistent widow in Luke 18, 7, we keep coming back over and over and over again. Like David in the Psalms, like Enoch who walked with the Lord, we are constantly with him day and night, steadfast. Secondly, he he qualifies his statement on prayer by saying we are to be watchful. In prayer, And again, I think there's, there's two ways that we can take that idea of watchfulness. First, it seems obvious that, that there is some connection here to Matthew 26 and in verse 41, uh, when Christ commands his disciples at the Garden of Gethsemane to watch and to pray, right? The, the wording is the same, and it seems that Paul is maybe making a reference, or at least the Holy Spirit is making a reference back to that passage. And there, the idea of watching is that they watch themselves, so that they might not fall into sin. And so Paul here is encouraging us. He recognizes that as we pray, Satan, one, is going to do his best to try to prevent us from doing that. So we need to be watchful. But he also recognizes that as we come into the presence of a holy and righteous God, our sin is going to become all the more glaring. So we are watchful for it. We are watchful for temptation. And that watchfulness leads us to, to more prayer, leads us to, to more repentance before this great God. But then also, I think watchfulness 
uh, in light of Ephesians chapter 6 and in verse 18, uh, and then given the context that we have here, I think it's safe to say that Paul also intends for our, his readers uh, to be alert to the needs, to the circumstances, to the situations of, of others, of those that are around them, right? Given Paul's evangelistic mission, given Jesus' evangelistic mission, then it makes sense that, that all of us would want to be cognizant of what's going on in other people's lives so that we can bring that before our holy and righteous God. The needs of others are to be a part of our prayer life. So we're steadfast, we're watchful, and then we pray with thanksgiving. And I'll be honest, this may be the part of prayer that that I, I struggle with the most. In prayer, we we aren't simply listing off our laundry list of needs, right? Uh, We're not bringing our Walmart list to to God or our Christmas list to God. We're not figuring out ways to coerce him into action. No, in light of who he is, in light of what he has done for both us and for others around us, a great majority of our prayers should be taken up in thanksgiving. Giving. You know, when the, the disciples asked Jesus how to pray, the first petition, what, what, what's the first thing Jesus says? He says, pray like this, our Father. Let me tell you something. You can't get past those two words, our Father, without falling down in thankfulness before God. Because the simple fact is none of us have the right to say it. None of us should be able to say to God, You are our Father, and yet in Christ, He has made us that. He has given us the spirit of adoption in our hearts so that we can cry out, Abba, Father, what a joy. When we think about evangelism specifically, we can come with thanks for Matthew 28. We can come with thanks that His word does not come back void. We can come back with thanks that He is faithful to save as He says that He is, and that He brings a great harvest So we pray. It's a call to pray. To pray with steadfastness, with watchfulness, and with thanksgiving. Friends, what a challenge this is to us as a church and as individuals. Do we want to see lives changed by the gospel? Do we want to see the preaching of the word become effective? Do we want to see transformed families and lives as we have spent so much time in Colossians talking about Well, if so, the first priority, the most important step is to pray, is to spend significant time in prayer. It's a call to pray. Now, I recognize that much like the disciples, we often wonder, all right, well, how do we pray? And specifically for evangelism, we probably wonder, how can we pray in the way that God would have us to pray? Well, secondly, in this passage, I want you to notice the subjects of evangelistic prayer. And again, there are two things here. He says, pray for us first, Paul and his company of of workers. Pray that God would give us open doors for the word, for the mystery of Christ. I love how one commentator described this here. Obviously, Paul is praying that God, even through difficult circumstances, and don't miss the fact that Paul here, for the first time in his letter, really lays it out, obviously, that he himself is in prison, 
as he writes all of these things. And his prayer is not, God, get me out of prison. He's not asking them to pray, hey, make God take these bad circumstances for me. No, his prayer is, while I'm here, pray that God would give me opportunities to share the gospel. So open doors are first opportunities. Within the, the commentator that I was talking about, he says also open doors are, are, is Paul asking for success in evangelism. He's asking that God would bless the work of his hand. Paul recognizes that he needs God not only to to give the the opportunities, but he also needs him to make his efforts adequate. Even Paul, the Apostle Paul, even he is weak. Even he is inadequate for the task that is before him. So he needs God to make it effective. God must cause the growth. So it's open doors, and then he also says, pray that, that we would speak with clarity. Speak with clarity. Um, that they would speak with truth, that they would speak with precision, and that they would speak in such a way that people would not only understand, but that their hearts w- would be inflamed, that their hearts w- would turn to the reality of the gospel. Now, I think that's a really helpful thing for us as we think about how we do evangelism. We just said that unless God does the work, it will not be effective. But knowing that, and knowing that we are weak, it does not give us the leeway to do, poor, to do a poor job in evangelism. In other words, we can't just say, well, God can use bad evangelism, so I'm going to give less than my best here. Look, he can and he does use bad, bad, bad evangelism all the time. But notice how, how ought Paul to speak there in verse 4. He said that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. He ought to speak with precision, with clarity. We should handle the gospel Every time with care and with thought and with much love and in much prayer. This is the greatest news in the world. So our prayer is that God would grant us the clarity to communicate it well. So we've seen the, 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 the subjects of evangelistic prayer. Open doors, effectiveness. We've seen a call to evangelistic prayer. Then thirdly and finally in this passage, I want you to notice the results of evangelistic prayer. And you see it there in verses 4 and 5. Not surprisingly, Paul's assumption is that God uh, will begin and that he will place people in their lives uh, as they pray this way. That, That outsiders will begin to come into their lives. Because God is more committed than even we are to seeing his word go to the ends of the earth because he is committed to bringing all those whom he has called into his presence, he gives the opportunities through evangelistic prayer. And the question becomes, once those opportunities come, how are we to respond? Okay? And this is where we'll, we'll wrap it up for today. So first notice he says that we are to walk in wisdom. Walk in wisdom. And I'm so thankful that Paul uses that language here. 
because it leaves no room for the idea that Christians have to either pull out of society or they have to be on their own or they have to be in maybe like this exclusive community. No, how can we walk with someone or even to someone from a distance? How can you do it for any length of time without forming some form of relationship with them? The reality is, is you can't. And so, yes, we should be guarded. We should be cautious in our interactions with non-believers. But, friends, we cannot be absent. We can't avoid it. Walking also implies that, that what we're doing is not just programs. That what we're doing is not just beating people over the head with the Bible. It implies that, that any good evangelism, or at least a major form of evangelism, is how we live. It's how we act in the presence of other people. Again, we're going to see that words are important in just a second. But as we often tell our children, as I have often told the children and the youth of our church, our actions, they speak louder than our words. We walk in wisdom, cautiously, guarded, walking in the fear of the Lord, directing them with our actions, but we walk with them. Secondly, he says that we are to speak graciously, seasoned with salt. And this is a sermon all in of itself, and it's one that is desperately needed in our time. But just simply note here that gracious, according to the dictionary, means courteous, and it means kind, and it means pleasant. Let's note that seasoned with salt most likely means presenting the gospel winsomely in a way that compels interest, in a way that draws attention from those on the outside. Friends, just to, to put it bluntly, the way that the church, many Christian people, have decided to speak to and about one another, especially in our current political climate, it may feel good, and it may feel like we are fighting back, but it is not seasoned with salt. In fact, I would go so far to say that it is not, in fact, very Christian or God-honoring at all. It's certainly not drawing people in, and that, according to what Paul says here, is our goal, to get people to recognize their need, to get people through the doors of the church and to come and to hear the word preached. We must speak in a way that is thoughtful and wise and winsome and compelling. Lastly, Make the best use of our time, Paul says. Uh, Renee and Ben and Avis, uh, they often pick at me. Uh, really, they are often mad at me because I always say no matter what, what is in front of us, no matter how much time we have left, there's plenty of time. We got plenty of time to get it done. As long as the, the very large lady has not started singing, we got time to do it. Now look, normally that works out pretty well for me. Uh, but Paul here says that we cannot take that approach with evangelism. Rather than waiting, rather than putting off the chance to speak to that coworker or that friend or that family member, Paul says use every second that you have and use it 
well. The simple fact is, is we don't know what tomorrow holds. We don't know what the next second holds. We may not get another shot. And so when the chance comes, looking to Christ, resting in his promises, resting in the fact that he makes our evangelism effective, knowing that when the opportunity comes, take it. Whether that means just living the gospel out or whether that means speaking the truth in love, make the best use of the time that he gives us. Well, friends, that's, uh, there's a lot more to say, but we don't have time to say it. And so as we conclude, uh, let me simply challenge us uh, as a church. Uh, let me challenge us as individuals with this call to evangelism. The command is clear. The, the harvest is plentiful. Our God is good and his promises are sure. The question is, will we be obedient to it? Will we faithfully pray for those outside of our church? Will we faithfully pray for our efforts here? It can begin this week with Vacation Bible School. Will we faithfully pray that God will be at work in the hearts of these little ones that he brings to us? Will we faithfully share that, that old, old story that we love so much, the, the story that has changed our lives, the, the story that, that is now the foundation of our lives? Will we share it knowing that, that it and the one who, who we proclaim in it, he is the only hope for lost sinners, lost sinners who desperately need a Savior. Let's pray together. Father God, we, we ask that you would... Strengthen us. Encourage us. Give us the boldness to go out into the world and to share the truth of who you are and of what you have done. Lord, it's a clear command that you give to your church, to be sure. And it's a clear command that you have given to us as individuals. And it's one that we often neglect and we put to the side. And so, Lord, I pray that you would convict us. Show us those places where you have given us opportunities and we have not been faithful to it. And, Lord, when those opportunities come in the future... Help us to have the strength and the wisdom and the foresight to take them knowing that it is not us. It is not anything that we do. But Lord, it is you and your work and you work through us. Even the, the weakest of us, you work through us in a mighty way. And so Lord, we ask that you would do that. Lord, we, we do pray even now for those who don't know the truth, those who don't know the gospel. Uh, Lord, they are in desperate need. And so we ask that, that you would convince them of that truth and that you would hold up to them the only Savior of sinners, Jesus Christ our Lord. And it's in his name that we pray it. Amen. As we conclude our service, let's